That's when an announcement's going to happen? That's when the next event is. It's a one more thing event, which normally whenever they do the one more thing, it usually is announcing a new product line or a major update to a product line. Yeah. Um, the other thing they have on the docket is Google Glass, but I doubt they'll be announcing that. So, I'm, I'm, <clears throat> I'm still hoping... Google? Gonna... Apple Glass. Sorry. Apple Glass. What's yeah. that? It's their version of Google... V, um, Google Glasses or whatever they were. Wait a minute. Apple's doing... They're doing an augmented reality headset, yes. Is it, is it for walking around? Like creepily walking around? Or is it just for like playing games in your house and stuff? Both, yes. Oh all of gosh. the above. That's what we need is more glass holes. It'd <laughs> <clears throat> be nice to have a nice little heads-up display in life, don't you think? I still, I'm still wanting the new Apple TV. Although... Since I just bought one of the existing ones a couple months ago, I'm. I really don't think they're going to get into that market. I think they'll stick with just the, the external device. You mean for this for this next week thing? Are you looking for an update to Apple TV? Or are you looking yeah, for like four an years actual old. screen? Oh no no no! Just okay. the, just the device, the the little the puck. Yeah. Well, what would it have? I mean, the current one does 8K, doesn't it? 4K. It only does 4K. Yeah. Uh, does anyone care about 8Ks? Do you know how do you know how close you'd have to sit to your screen to be able to see those Ks? I don't. <laughs> I'm fine with four. Yeah, I'm, maybe five. I'm kind of fine with 1080p. Five I'm feeling What's thrifty. that? 2K? I think 2K is pretty much fine. Unless you're sitting really close, it's hard to tell the difference between 1080p and 4K. <clears throat> maybe, but I tell myself I need 4K at least. Well, yeah. Well, you don't want to be like behind the times. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I mean, gaming is pushing that. Gaming is. Is trying to get to 8K. I mean, but it kills your more, frame rate. So. I was going to say, gaming is more about frame rates. Push for better frame rates than it does push for. Because if you have a 1080p game that's you're getting, you know, 60 to 60 plus frame rate, that that's pretty good. I mean, what, what is it going to get you to go to get 4K? You know, especially if you're going to drop your frame rate down. It yeah, just, it depends on the on the person on the person who's playing the game. If they consider themselves hardcore or professional gamers then they want frame rates. Everyone else wants the, the entertainment experience, so they prefer the more immersive graphics and things like that. But at the cost of a bad frame rate, that everything yeah, looks jittery? They don't, they don't care. Oh, see that? I can't. A lot of times it's not jittery. A lot of times it's... Um, you may get some artifacts here and there, at least for the casual gamer. They won't notice most of those frame rates. For professional gamers and things, the ones that are doing comp competitions and stuff, they need, they need that, that high frame rate because yeah, they're, yeah. they're making split second decisions. I think what probably annoys you the most is when the frame rate is constantly jumping around. So like, yeah. you know, you move into a more complex scene and it, it suddenly slows down. Then you, you, you change direction. You look at something more simple or whatever, and it gets all of a sudden fast again. Yeah. You know, if it's a solid, like 30 frames per second, that probably wouldn't be as bad as like 60, 15, 42, right. you know, seven, 150, you know, it's just, it will just jump all over the place. Yeah. And that's, I think, disturbing. Yeah, it is. It, it takes you out of it. <clears throat> I mean, the whole point is is the immersion and you know trying to trying to lose yourself in that world. Yeah, we also have new consoles on the horizon. So we've got the PlayStation Five, which is a huge monster box. Oh, this is the size of it is. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. And I haven't seen it, but I've I've heard. And Xbox is a literal box now. It's it's almost <coughs> like they. Well. This is like a cardboard. Box. It looks like the Apple <laughs> Mac Pro. So the little trash can cylinder thing, but just with squared off edges. It, it looks like they just took that design and and made that. They even came out with a fridge that's the shape of the new Xbox console that I've seen. What? Yeah, it's kind of weird. It's huge. So, okay, so are you a PlayStation guy? Uh, I'm with 
whatever has the best games, but lately it's been PlayStation. So I have the, the PS4, and mm. I hope to get the PS5, but I, I probably won't get it till next year. Those things are pricey, man. <clears throat> They're pricey, but I don't know. And then the games are not cheap either. No. I will say, you know, overall, in terms of the, the amount and quality of entertainment you get out of it, it's not a bad value. I mean, it's, it, you know, it's, it's a middle-class thing that I think people get good value out of. Yeah. I, I, in terms of entertainment in general, I don't know that, and I'm, we're not talking about Salesforce today, sorry. <laughs> um, in terms of entertainment. And there goes 90% of our we listeners. Have, we have streaming services that I can't find anything to watch. Um, and I I, and I have, what's wrong with you? There are I have a such a backlog, just a list. I have what's on episode. Apple TV that's worth watching? Almost I, everything. What's on Disney Plus <clears throat> worth watching? I mean, I I have these services that well, The Mandalorian's back on, so I did. Yeah, okay. It's really good. I mean, it's only been the first episode of season two, and it's really good. There, I watched it. I'm, my family's mad at me because I watched it by myself, but I watched it, and there was plenty of moments where I was I I literally gasped out loud. Oh wow! Because there was just some moments that were just really. Fun and surprising, so I, was, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, we haven't started that season yet. I was nervous. I held off watching it. I was going to watch it Friday when it came out, but I kind of held off because I was nervous that I would hate it. But it, it's still good. You were nervous that you would hate the new season? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Why do I keep saying, oh, wow? Oh, wow. Wow. Uh, where, did I, where did I get that from? I know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my, my oldest son's, <clears throat> he's been doing this thing where he just goes, oh. And I, I always make fun of him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it's just the way he says it. Oh, <laughs> so I, I go around mocking him, which he doesn't appreciate. I'm a, I'm a great father. Yeah, <laughs> I mock my kids whenever they go do the ah, like you yeah. tell them something disappointing. And my favorite thing is to go, oh, I want to play race cars too. Oh, oh, there you go. <laughs> and it really oh, it, it knocks them out of it because they're they're laughing because I just keep going until they start laughing. Yeah. Uh, so good. yeah that's that's a good dad dad tip for you <laughs> when your is. kids go oh play race cars yeah <laughs> and fletcher goes around doing that anyway all the time does he yeah like making the race car noise oh my son he he's always making noise he just he can't exist without making noise if he's brushing his teeth he's making noise yeah. or dancing or moving he's just a fidgety little guy yeah, can you just stand there and brush your teeth please <laughs> that's like, that's me <laughs> <clears throat> well john we have uh this virtual dream force so do we figure out is that next week and it, it's next now, week, yeah. But it's 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 this general like it's through November to December. Yeah, okay. And I'm like, well, what is, does that mean? Is any of it? Is it all asynchronous then, or is it is some of it synchronous? I think content's just going to stream. It's just going to okay. So there's no like looks, a, there's no planned agenda that I can find. There's no. I mean, oh. I don't have the app. I didn't think to load up the Dreamforce app to see if there's some kind of event calendar or anything. But I have not seen anything along those lines. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't sign up. I need to sign up. But it, yeah, it just says November through December 2020. So I bet it'll be pretty cool. Um, um, oh, I'm betting it's going to be horrible. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Why is that? I just I, I, I don't think I mean, if they had a year to prepare for something like this, it would they would have all the content, all they, the they've, they've all had the all, fancy <laughs> video and everything. They've had nine months to prepare for this. I, I don't know. I, I think they were probably leaning on just canceling it and then they decided to just do something. I don't no, know. I, they would never cancel Dreamforce. We talked about it's free. It's not, not a money, like it's not going to make them any money this year. Um, and it's not going to grease any wheels for them this yeah, year. Well, so we don't even we don't even know if Salesforce made money off Dreamforce. I mean, I suspect they did make a lot of money off Dreamforce, but we don't we don't really know if that was a money maker or not. I mean, in, in terms of direct like profit from from uh, admissions and things like the admission fees, um, 
I think where Salesforce makes money off of it, it's, it's a great, it's just such a great marketing and business generation event. So that's what they need to keep going. They're not, of course, the, yeah, there's, there's no registration fees, but you know, they need to, they need some event that all these prospects that are looking at Salesforce yeah, and, but all, and all their customers who want to increase their adoption of Salesforce, you know, uh, they need, they need that event to, to hook them in and, and get them thinking of new things and new ideas and. Yeah, but the difference is they have when you're at the conference or the conference is going on with people present. There's a uh, there's a sense of of you having their undivided attention because they're there. They spent yeah, the money to right. be there, but with the virtual events, it'll be kind of hunting and packing and you know yeah, yeah. working or having it on the background where you're where you're doing something. You're not really absorbed in it. So I'm, I'm just I'm not, I don't have high expectations for it. I get, I totally get your point there. I think that's a fair point. I mean, I'm because if you, if you don't literally leave work and travel and get you know get out of get out of your normal routine, then it's then you can't break away from your routine. You're mm-hmm. I mean, unless you're someone who can just like oh, I'm just going to block all these. But that's the thing you you can't even block days off for it because what days are you going to block off? Yeah. It's it's over. It's two. It's a two month event. Yeah, I'm going to take the last rest of the year off, guys. Yeah, okay? I can't even yeah. plan ahead. I can't say, Jeremy, I'm going to take. Thursday off because there's a bunch of dev stuff and I'm going to sit there and watch it all. Yeah. So, I mean, I get your point on that, but um, I, I think, I don't know. We, I think they're going to have well, I, I really two, two things. One, I think they're going to have scheduled. There are going to be things that happen at certain times. that are going to be synchronous. I think you'll be able to, as with most of these things, you'll be able to watch them later. They'll make it available on YouTube or Salesforce live or whatever, or whatever it is. Um, but I also think that, you know, even re- regardless or irregardless of all of these limitations that that I think are fair points that you just made, I think I still think they're going to do, given those constraints, a really good job. Because it first of all, because they can, they've got all these people and not only employees that are just dedicated to events, but also all these, you know, con- all their uh, contractors that they use for events, contracting, you know, the companies that mm-hmm. you know do everything from, print, you know printing banners to producing video and graphics and and writing copy and content and presentations all I mean all that kind of stuff um you know they all they're all ready to work and ready to do this and so i just think i think salesforce is going to take advantage of it as much as best as they can and if anyone can do it they can i think time will tell i Mm -hmm. mean if we look at trailhead the trailhead conference as a test run of what dreamforce might be and if they learned their lessons from that then yeah maybe it'll be It'd definitely be improved over that, I would expect. I, th- I think that's what it was. I mean, I think they've definitely, I think they probably tried some things out and figured out what works and what doesn't, and they're just going to take what they learned from that and do their best. I'm sure it won't be perfect or anything, but is Dreamforce ever perfect? Of course not. No. No. Anyway. Uh, but yeah, I need to sign up because I don't know when but it, it starts. The, the, other, the other value of Dreamforce, even when you're, whether you're there or you're not there, there's people there and you can kind of get their reactions. I wonder how we're going to do that with this virtual stuff. You know, you're yeah. listening to the keynote. I guess we could all be on the good day, sir, Slack <laughs> and talk about, and, you know, do our comments. But if everyone's kind of just consuming it whenever you don't kind of get that opportunity. And what do you do about the LinkedIn vultures? If you have a, if they have some live community thing, I don't know, just start blocking them. <laughs> I'm signing up, John. Oh my gosh, you have to fill out this big yeah. lead gen form. Yep, you do. <clears throat> um, you can do that later. Anyway. 
It doesn't well, take long, but we have um, we have that topic that Jay suggested a few weeks ago. Actually, you know what? Before we get to that, let me. Um, so jo- Jody M mm-hmm. posted this thing the other day. Um, it was I think she had gotten her let's see a system architect I guess certification so congratulations and she says I think this is her someone said this I had to get this cert to give me the quote credibility unquote to deal with some external developers who would not listen to me a few years ago and they built a bad integration. So I think anyone who knows Jody, you know, or has listened to her or whatever, any of her talks or, you know, her communications in various online communities and when she's been on podcasts, I mean, she knows what she's doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's one of the most, you know, she's one of these um, closet developers in a way too. She's, you know, a tech, very, very, very technical consultant for someone who probably doesn't necessarily build themselves as a developer or software engineer or whatever. So she definitely knows what she's doing. Um, and, and is this, is this where we're are, where we're at that it doesn't actually matter what you know and what your skills are and what you bring to the table. If you don't have a Salesforce, a, some specific Salesforce certification, and then all of a sudden now, now you do matter. Now you are legitimate before you are a non-entity, you're, you know, you were not legitimate. Now you are. I, I don't see a, I mean, I don't know. I know that's happening in a lot of places. I, I don't have that kind of cult. I don't like that kind of culture. So obviously like in our company, we don't, I mean, we have to get, we have to play the certification game, mm-hmm. but we definitely don't, I think treat, we don't, we don't view each other through the lens of your certifications. All right. And that's just sad to me. It almost seems, remember the whole no labels movement or whatever. It's, mm-hmm. it's almost like, you know, are we going overboard with these labels? So much so that we're, that's, that's the only way we really judge someone is by their certification list or whatever. Well, I'm trying to read through this and I, it, some of it kind of seems like maybe confidence level changed by getting the certification from Jody's perspective. Cause it kind of, it kind of seems like she, she kind of said that she, she feels more confident insisting that they do the right thing in term, in regards to that integration. So I'm wondering if some of it is just having some confidence in, in knowing what you're talking about. <clears throat> yeah, maybe so. I, although I don't, and I'm not even sure where that, well, I'm not finding that now, but I'd pulled that quote. I don't know where it is. Hopefully it's okay to say it. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. It's at the bottom of that thread, by the way. Maybe. Oh, it is at the bottom? Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, how are you doing on certifications, Sean? Bad. I'm bad, too. I'm bad. I'm I was bad. actually, I was working on my Einstein analytics, but then I kind of got... Um, Sidetracked by Tableau? <laughs> yeah. And then, and then, by the way, I also... I, you know, we, we keep having this discussion about like, okay, difference between Tableau and Einstein Analytics, and more importantly, like, what's the future? Like, what should what should people like us invest in in terms of skills? What should companies invest in in terms of making a choice on which one they're going with? And I finally got a good, um, 
differentiate differentiator between Tableau and Did you? Yeah. Would you like to hear it? Yeah, right. absolutely. Tableau is oh, how can I describe it? It's like a box of Legos. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sorry. Okay. Uh, I don't know if I built that up too much or not, but <laughs> that can be said about a lot of things though. It was actually a discussion on, um, I think it was the AWS, well, the, what's the, the, the snark, the AWS snark guy, um, Corey something, Corey Quinn, I think mm. that's his name. Hopefully that's not someone, random other person's name, but <clears throat> he almost was like a guest show where he had like these two guys and they were, t- they were, had used AWS's quick, quick site, which is some bi thing that i guess amazon's had for a while which sounds like it's decent or whatever but i don't think it's something that necessarily gets a ton of love it's definitely not like on par in terms of polish or whatever with with tableau mm-hmm. but so they used they ended up sticking with quicksight because it was good enough but they also trialed like tableau and so they were kind of talking about tableau versus quicksight mm-hmm. uh okay next Let's see. Let's talk about, let's do Jay's topic. Okay. So he says, you know, topic to talk about, uh, the Salesforce job market. He said, I interview two to four people a day. Wow. That's, that's brutal. Because, yeah. <clears throat> well, first of all, an interview takes, you know, you probably spend an hour. It depends on the, what level of the interview. If it's just some like screening interview, but I mean, usually by the time people get to me, it's, it's, I want to spend about 45 minutes to an hour with them. But I also do at least 30 minutes, usually closer to an hour, sometimes, sometimes more prep preparing for that interview. Yeah. Because I'm, I want to look at their background because my goal in an interview is really, it's because I really, what I'm looking for is, is good people and, and ways that, you know, the company could put someone's, you know, skills to work. So I'm not trying to necessarily eliminate people. Although that's, you know, of course, one of the side effects. I'm looking to I'm looking to figure out how to qualify someone, like how to, like I'm, I'm I want to I'm not trying to ask some gotcha questions to figure out all the way all the things they don't know. I'm trying to find I'm just trying to ask questions to find out where they're strong because mm-hmm. I want to know what their strong points are, and so I'll you know spend some time looking at either LinkedIn or their resume or whatever they whatever information they've provided, um, and then I'll put together like almost an, like an outline of w- how I want to interview that person based on the content of their, you know, skills and experience. And so I'll, you know, I'll, I want to learn more about like the things that I know they're going to want to talk about, like some of the experience and some things I'm, you know, I might even go research like a little bit about a certain industry they worked in or whatever, just so I, I can be somewhat educated when I'm talking to them about their experience. Um, but then I'll, I will also come up with some questions that are specific to their strong points because I want to see how strong their strong points are. So if you say that, you know, you're, um, you know, uh, I don't know, some, you know, Einstein analytics expert, that's like, that's your strong point. That's your thing. And that's ostensibly why we would be hiring you. Mm-hmm. Then I want to, I want to go and I want to do, I want to put together some in increasing difficulty, like a nice set of kind of like probing either questions or conversation topics about Einstein analytics so that we start off with the easier things. And then it's, you know, it gets kind of progressively more, um, you know, I guess difficult, challenging, challenging. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Cause I want to see where they, 
I want to see how far they are in their, in their journey. Yeah. It's not a bad way. Um, so yeah, so interviews, I mean, they're, they, <laughs> they, t- they take some time. It, it, yeah. I mean, one interview, uh, it basically between that and just like the men, it also mentally wears me out a little bit. I'm just talking for also to someone for an hour. So it's, you know, it, it's half a day. An interview for me is half a day. Are you a fan of the multiple interview kind of approach, you know, where you kind of get through the ranks of you interview with this person, then you interview with the next person. Sometimes you interview with a committee. Oh, I don't know. I mean, this, this all triggers me because I kind of, I feel like the whole system sucks and is broken in a lot of ways. And so many, so many people have just bad experiences. And we, I think, <laughs> I don't know, unless you just have the type of personality where everything just bounces right off you. I mean, I think everyone has some kind of PTSD um, related to just bad. Well, I think because interviewing is, is kind of a, an art you learn by fire, I guess. I don't know how else to say that. There's no college degree that says, I'm a master's in, in hiring people. No, right. I mean, or interviewing people mainly. I mean, it's, it's a lot of people who get promoted into management, but you know, they've, they don't spend, they never yeah. spent their days interviewing right. people and trying to, trying to find someone right for the role. So there's a skill there that has to be learned. So, so companies that, that do hire well, I mean, you can think of like some of the, some of the big tech companies as an example. I mean, they hire well because they have, you know, first of all, probably good HR people and really good discipline around all of it. But they also, part of that discipline is they make sure that all of their employees who, who will be doing, conducting interviews, that they're trained up on how to do interviews. So, I mean, Salesforce, Facebook, I mean, Google, and mm-hmm. any of these, I mean, you're, if you're going to be someone who's interviewing, HR is going to you know, train you on how to, and, and, and you're, you know, someone in your own management stru- hierarchy might also uh, train you. I mean, first of all, there's all kinds of legal, pro- legal problems that the company's going to want you to avoid. So you're going to have all the legal stuff. This is what you can ask, what you can't ask, all that kind of stuff. And then there's just, hey, here's how we interview. Here's our process. Um, here's your, here's what your responsibility is interviewing. And, you know, in this, whatever step in the process, you're going to be interviewing people. And then you probably will also sit in on some interviews just so you can see how your 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 employer, let's say you're relatively new to a company, mm-hmm. you want to see how they interview. Like, what is a typical interview like? And you need to see some of those before you probably start interviewing people yourself. Yeah, that part I get, and that part does happen. It, and that, but that's kind of like the boilerplate. That's kind of the foundation of your interviewing. But then it's a matter of, you know, how do I take the things that I feel are important and how do I ask the right questions so that I can get the right response? Or I can get the response that I'm looking for, or that I the response or get a response that's valuable. Yeah, it's a skill for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I'm I don't know I'm not great at it, but I try to. I mean, I try to do my best, anyways. But anyway, so Jay says he says two to four a day, which is that just blows my mind. I mean, to me, that's that's your job. You are a recruiting person at that point. <clears throat> anyway, he says uh, I guess he's interviews people from U.S. and India, I mean, I assume that means they're in India. And I can't find one good developer. But at the same time, I get hit by all kinds of recruiters with low salaries. I know that there is an influx of people on H1, I think he means probably H1B visa, who are stuck, meaning they, they don't have a client and they can't transfer their, their H1B. And they're limiting to working on C to C relationships, is that company to company relationships? Mm-hmm who will take on a low offer just so they can stay in the country. It's sad. Um, yeah, I mean, there's 
I feel like there's just there are a lot of problems with the really with the H one B program. Um, you know, it's I don't know. I didn't do any looking at the actual regulation to look at what its goals are. But you know, it's it's that it's that visa that's supposedly for you know it's like the best and the brightest. Mm-hmm. Um, the you know the smart you know machine learning PhDs and whatever that that we it makes sense from a from a nation strategy to get these people in our country and working for our country right working for companies in this country yeah um because if not they're going to be working for your competitors or working for you know the big bad china or russia or one of you know one of these (laughs) things and so that's the idea behind that visa but of course i mean anyone who's worked in this industry for any amount of time has seen um the all the I would say arguably um, negative consequences. Uh, un, uh, sorry, negative or the, the unintended ar- arguably unintended consequences. Yeah. I'm not sure they are unintended, but let's let's give them credit that <laughs> sure. it's their unintended consequences, which are most companies and people participating in that program are gaming the system. Um, you know, there's there are. There, that is a regulate. I mean, of course, it's it's a regulated visa. There are rules to the system, and there are companies that absolutely just don't follow the rules. They don't use it for what it's intended, um, and there there are too many interests that that just tur- um, that that turn a blind eye to it. Is that the word? Is that the term? I think so. <clears throat> yeah. Right. So, you know, there are companies who, you know, <clears throat> abuse the system just to get, you know, cheap, low quality labor. Right. And they donate to politicians whose job is to regulate these things. So they <laughs> ends up not getting regulated correctly, not right. you know, regulations not being enforced. And the other the other big problem with this H1B system that I've seen is and Jay's hit on this, too, which is. It's really terrible the way it turns and, you know, there's there's that period of time like it looked that when someone's on here on H1B, that you know they they have to first of all they have to have a company sponsor them, and then once once their sponsorship begins, they they really can't they're they're stuck with that employer, and right. so and yeah. it, this is years, and they really can't go get another job, they and so they're I mean the and the one of the big I think. Uh, Again, maybe unintended effects of that is that you know these people tend to have well under market salaries, and they're supposed to have really above. They should have above market salaries, certainly above like above average. Because again, these are the best and the brightest. These are mm-hmm. the these are the ones that you know. It's it's this is you know it's not easy to get, to get into this country, but this is one of those things where we're like, hey, let's all you you know let's we'll open the gates for the for the. For the smart, for the smartest people, or the people that have worked really hard and like done good, you know, interesting things, and whether it's in their education or, or commercially or whatever, you know, they have these capabilities that that companies in this country really need, and that also that we can't satisfy. That's another big requirement of the H one B program. You're really not companies are not allowed to hire someone on H one B unless they have done like an exhaustive search for like U S citizens or. Uh, you know, legal permanent residence. Mm-hmm. It's only after you've exhausted that, that that you can then go and consider, you know, hire uh, bringing someone in on an H one B visa. Right. 
of course, you know, we have, there are, there are companies, large companies in this country who it's their one, you know, absolute strategy to, to not hire any Americans or permanent residents. Their only goal is to bring in cheap immigrant, you know, basically low to moderate skilled labor under that program. And what sucks about that is not only those, those poor people just again, and maybe it's an improvement over their previous situation, but it's still, it's still just indentured servitude. Um, but it's crowding out those, those people that the, the program is supposed to be for. So it's actually not benefiting this country and the companies in this country the way it is supposed to, because we're, you know, we they only allow a certain number of uh, H-1B visas a year. And so if you're using 70% of them for, you know, not, well, for, the, not for the best and brightest. the dibs on them. Then, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because they can afford to kind of. And the other problem is it's a lot, you know, it's, it's like this lottery system and it's kind of random. Hmm. And it's so it's not it's not merit based, which or yeah, which that's and there's just so many pro that entire program needs to be completely overhauled. Uh, yeah, that's my intro to it. Let's see what did you read that thread? I think I read it a few weeks ago when we were planning on talking about it. But I can't even find it now. I, I can't remember it. Dun, dun, dun. Man, I thought I had a link to it, John. Um, Did I send you a link to it? No, you sent me a link to something else. Oh, here it is. Yeah, I did send you a link. Um, anyway, uh, oh, and then and then the discussion got into this is interesting. Got into you know how I know a I know a Salesforce admin who's making twenty five dollars an hour, but he's billed out at fifty dollars an hour. And so the, comp the consulting company takes fifty percent, and then. You know, of course, and, and I don't know, we joke about how some of these, you know, these companies will just bring on really like people that are either, you know, not very skilled or just are so junior and green. And then they're, you know, they're putting them on, you know, these, the big consulting com companies do this, um, put them on just big projects and bill them out at, you know, 250 to 300 an hour. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, but <laughs> I think one thing people need to understand about, I guess, I don't know. It depends on the type of company. There are companies that are just simply body shops and all they're doing is get, I'm trying to think of a nice word to, nice way to say this because the words that are coming to mind are not nice. I guess rent you out, right? Um, mm -hmm. And they're not adding any value. There's not, and it's not like they've, um, they're papering some, some project. It's just a body hours for dollars. And so, and so for that, I'm especially if you're not on salary. Yeah, exactly, and 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 also exactly because that means that when you're when you're on the bench, like if you're between projects or whatever, um, or if you're not billing, you know, just eight hours a day, like you're not making any money. Right. And so the so that not only is the company the, the company takes just taking no risk whatsoever. Right. And they have no responsibility and they have no risk. Yet they are taking half of the value, and that that that. I think is unfair, but I, I don't really have much patience for those types of organizations anyway. Um, I do think it's different with, I can tell you just from, cause I've been involved in consulting companies for a long time now. Um, the, you know, when I, when you're talking about people on a salary, right. Mm -hmm. Um, you have to have, you know, and there's still you know, margin and, and, involved in, in your people resources. I know you don't like the word resources, but 
at some point from an accounting perspective, you kind of do have to look at it that way because you have a margin perspective to deal with. You have the cost of selling the project and the cost of onboarding the project. And then before anybody actually even starts spilling hours against it. Yep. And that's all internal cost. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and someone, yeah, exactly. I mean, someone, I mean, these things take, I mean, a lot of, I mean, I've had a lot of our deals. I mean, the, the sale cycle is months. I mean, we mm-hmm. spend lots of deals. We, I mean, well, we've spent, I mean, I'm, uh, I mean, one somewhat recent one in particular, I mean, we spent about $150,000 just in the sales cycle. Yeah. Um, and we, first of all, and that's not super uncommon and you don't win every deal. Right. So who's paying for all those $150,000, right? right? I mean, it's just got to come out of the company's gr- gross profit, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, an, it's a huge expense and that's what it takes to get the deals that keep us all busy, you know, with billable projects. Um, and there's, there's also just, you know, the, the fact that, you know, not, I mean, usually people just don't get eight hours a day, every day of billable work. I mean, it's, but you're, but people still, you know, on salary, they still get paid for their, their full time. Right. Um, so, and there's going to be just, you know, bench time or time between projects and things like that. And, and it's, it's nice to be able to get paid, you know, when, when you're between projects. Um, but yeah, just the selling and marketing expense and, and the fact that, you know, you, you don't want someone hounding you that, you know, just to work for, you don't have to, you don't have to worry about like, oh gosh, I can't ever take vacation. Cause I mean, that's the life that most of my professional life, I've lived that life. I don't ever take any vacation because I'm not going to make any money and I'm just, I've got to get as much. I mean, if I, if, if I'm doing hourly billable work, which I get it, I know there's that whole thing that hourly billing is nuts, but, um, I just got, it's all about the hours, you know, and I just, I've just got to give up my, you know, most of my waking life to this thing because the more I do, the more money I make. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, you know, at least in our company, like I don't want people to work that way. You know, we, we take vacations and, um, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to bill 40 hours every week in order to make your full paycheck. Right. And someone's got to pay that's kids money. And I can tell you at the, at the, at the end of the month, at the end of the quarter and the end of the year, there is probably not near as much money left over as what people think there is. In fact, there may be negative amounts of money left over. Someone may be having to continue to invest in that business. Even though you're only getting paid, like, you know, if you do, if you do the math or whatever, like a third of what the hourly rate is. Right. So just keep that in mind. It depends on, you know, is this, is this like a legitimate, like, you know, value added consulting company where they, you know, employees are on salary and they treat people well and everything, or is this just some, uh, what, do you, what are those called? Just the body shops where they just, you know, uh, no, they make I, you no guarantees. You don't get paid when you're not billing all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Here's someone who was making $30 an hour, but getting billed at, out at 150, sometimes 200 an hour. When we asked for raises, we got a long presentation about how overhead works. I mean, I guess that's what I just gave is a, is a presentation on how overhead <laughs> works. Um, but yeah. I mean, that can't be used as an excuse either. I mean, you, you really, you really should be fair about it. If there's that much of a disparaging difference between that, some, if someone's getting paid 30 an hour, but they're getting billed out as 150 an hour, that doesn't seem to wash to me. That's a five X. Yeah. Yeah. That's either someone needs a raise because they're really skilled and they're doing 150 hour work or someone's really getting taken advantage of. And I don't know when that was, so I don't know if we've had some inflation since then, but you know, at least, I mean, I can speak for our company. I mean, people are pretty expensive. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no, 
we're, we're not making 5x on any you know and also i mean we've some of the some of the companies that you and i've just been involved with in the past i mean i know they marked us up three or four times and they still ended up going out of business i mean again yeah. it, and and maybe you know you probably make an argument well they just weren't running the business well well maybe i mean but you know like i always like to say business is hard i mean you'd be surprised it's competitive and it's hard and you know the, the well the growth curve is curve is hard because you can start out pretty lean and everyone's kind of pulling their weight and you're running extremely lean but then you get to a point where you have to kind of grow which means you're adding a lot more non-billable staff to your to your uh payroll mm-hmm. uh and that's that's the hard part that's the hurdle that you have to get over before you can start you know making into like the mid-size and enterprises you go from that small over to that medium and there's there's that huge hurdle there yeah. and that's where you can really fail yeah and also i mean you know you want companies to have you know, financial resources so that, you know, when... So they can send you to Dreamforce. They can spend five grand to send exactly. a person to Dreamforce. Um, or, or when, or you know, if you have normal kind of sales or just business cycles, mm-hmm. that when things are slow, they don't have to lay off half the people, you know, or furlough yeah. them for 90 days right. or whatever, bring them back. I mean, you know, I mean, it's it's a little bit of an insurance policy. Yeah. Uh, let's see. And then the people are asking, well, why are, why are you not able to find good developers? I feel like that's a, that's a you know, different problem than recruiters tossing H-1Bs at you. Um, oh, and then the, the whole thing with, like, uh, the, all the fakers. I mean, mm. you know, if I, put an ad, if I put an ad out for a Salesforce developer, 70% of them would be people faking. Isn't, isn't that crazy? Fake it till you make it, right? <laughs> a lot of people haven't made it though, apparently. Um, yeah, and just faked, faked GitHub commit history, fake resumes. Mm. Um, the thing where you, I mean, the lip sync uh, remote interviews. <laughs> yeah. Um, people, people doing certifications. You know, you can pay someone to do your certifications for you. You can pay someone to get badges for you. Yeah. Not that you're advocating for. It. You know, I think it's, I mean, again, that's, that's part of the problem with, again, I love this. I love this saying, even though I wish I, I don't, I think it could have been worded better, but this is the way it was worded to me. Tell me how you'll measure me and I'll tell you how I'll perform. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're going to make the, you're going to make certifications and badges the currency. No problem. I'll just pay people to get me badges. I, I mean, I, I, I'm to... just saying that's what, that's what a lot of people are doing. Yeah. I just, it just kind of sucks. Cause I mean. People tend to ruin things. There are just some really yeah. unscrupulous people out there who will get ahead however they can, and they don't care. And it really ruins it for a lot of us who want to play the game properly. Yeah. You know, I, I get I get why Salesforce wants to promote having certifications and having a bunch of qualified people that they know of at least have a foundation in understanding what their product does so they can recommend those people. I get that. Yeah. But then the system gets corrupted by people who are just gaming the system because because they want to get those numbers up so they can, you know, get more leads or whatever, whatever they're trying to do. And it just, it, it gets ruined. The, the thing is like, you know, this is interesting because I feel like it ties in like the H1B thing and, and badges or just any kind of certification, not just Salesforce, whatever. I mean, you're, and if you don't build these systems right with the right rules and enforce those rules, you're just, you're setting it up to be gamed. Yeah. And that doesn't help anyone because I don't think it helps the people that are gaming the system. Not, not, not in the long term. Because the truth one always wants to come out. 
right. and it doesn't help the it doesn't help companies that are trying to find people. It just it 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 gums up the works of the whole system to the point that you know you. I mean, it gets to the point where like if you actually need to hire someone, like God, we're gonna have to go through that hiring process, that that screening process of dealing with just hundreds of fake resumes and you know paying people to do screening calls just to just to see is this even the is this person even who they say they are? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it, well. And in some way, it sounds like we're given a bad rap to recruiting companies, but I think the whole reason well, most, they exist most of them, is to try to... Most of them are horrible. Most of them yeah. are horrible. Yeah, but I mean, I think most of them, of them started out with the idea that they were going to help make hiring people easier, that they would kind of do the work of, you know, you'd pay them a, a certain amount to do the work of filtering out a bunch of people, but, you know, then then you have to have a numbers game. You have to blanket the world with, you know, prospects. Yeah. And try to get as many people in to filter through. It's really, I mean, it's it's hard to not talk about also how COVID is affecting all this as well. Um, I was reading just some random Hacker News thread. I can't remember what the top, what the article was, but they were talking about how there a lot of these people who are working in the more like expensive areas, like uh, West Coast, mm-hmm. East Coast, whatever, that their companies have just said basically said, well, um, where do you where do you want to work? You can, we'll just let you work wherever, like. Um, because there are places that are much cheaper to live and that don't have state income tax. You know, California, has, like you know, yeah. pretty famously has, I think, a pretty high state income tax. Where do you want to work? What do you want to do? And they're just. I think that has it. Just I think that puts more fluidity in the in the labor pool. I mean, it's, you know, a lot of these Bay Area companies complain about. Well, we have to we have to hire people on H one Bs because we can't, and maybe that's legitimate. Maybe especially for certain really um, some of this newer, you know science i mean you there's just limited people that in this country that that you know but also i mean if 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 you're one of these companies and you know i think you could put google facebook salesforce that they're kind of all in this category they they really kind of want you to come into the office so you kind of have to live there mm-hmm. and but these companies at the same time they're they're limiting it's almost like they're cutting their nose off despite their face it's like they're they're limiting their own level you know of quality people they can get because they're not willing to hire someone who lives in Sioux Falls or Scranton. Um, well, I wonder, but, th- but that's all changing. This is all changing. Yeah. Now. But I wonder if it's changing for the better. I mean, we, I think, I think it's great to play the exercise of unintended consequences of, okay, that sounds great, but what are the unintended consequences of this? I mean, think about uh, the way it's impacting our kids' education for those that are not in school and doing remote learning. I'm already hearing about, extended school years and summer schools because some of these kids who are doing remote learning they didn't have the they were very distracted by being home in their home routine that they weren't always attending the zoom calls they weren't always doing all the proper exercises they were supposed to be doing or all the homework assignments um, or even had the opportunity to, to ask questions you know they're kind of left out on their own they're trying to figure it out and their grades are suffering for it think about the workforce where you have a lot of entry-level people coming in at a large company but you have entry level people coming in and they're able to learn from the people around them. They're able to kind of peek around the corner of the cubicle and say, Hey, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. And someone can kind of look over and say, Oh, I see what you did here. And they give you that, that thing. Yep. That's a lot harder when everyone's remote and you're trying to say, Hey, do you got five minutes on the zoom call? Yeah. I mean, and, and some of these tools are getting better at, and, and it's also a culture thing. I mean, I, again, I did our company. I, I always, I try to promote that culture of, First of all, um, I, I love the asynchronous or asyn- asynchrony. What's what's the word? Asynchronousness? Async. 
Ace. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> butcher it. Uh, the, the asynchronous aspect. How about that? Sure. The <laughs> it works. It, it's like how do you like like you know these like a mouse a, a mouse device. How do you say is it mice? Is it mouses? If when it, for plural mice. It's my so but I think status. Some, some, status is the same plural. No, it's not. Yes, it is. Statuses. No. Apparently, I looked no, this up because no. I was trying to figure out how to name something, and apparently, you'll only find statuses like in America, like everywhere else. Status is status. That's what it's supposed to be. For plural, Merriam-Webster has plural as statuses. Uh, yeah, and the American dictionaries will have statuses, but apparently, everywhere else in the world that it subscribes to the English language says that. It, that does not exist. Know, that could be an Americanism. <clears throat> what are we talking about? Oh, anyway, I know. I wanted to say um, this is this goes back to like twenty years, but Microsoft in its like you know whatever their their kind of um, marketing guides or whatever they uh, the standards the, their standard for it was mouse devices. If you wanted to say plural mouses, mm-hmm. plural mouses, they don't make any sense. I can see it's, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. It's mouse devices. That's how you, like any marketing copy or whatever, or documentation. Huh. <laughs> uh, well, let's, okay, help me pop the stack here. What, how did we get into that? Well, we're, I was talking about, I'm trying to make the point about how the remote oh, aspect of asynchronous. it. Asynchronous. So yes. You got to keep, pop, I need a, must, I had a stack overflow there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Do you, do you remember? Did you in the, in the DOS days? Did you ever like edit your config.sys to you know set your the your your stack? What was your number of stack uh, frames? You could, um, buffer like I guess all these. You had to set all these things. You could leave them default, of course. But I mean, I would tweak the hell out of those to make my games run better and stuff. I would tweak and I would ruin some stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I bricked some some DOS machines in the yeah. days. <laughs> um, asynchronous. So. Yeah, I think I really like this async because the downside of the in-person thing is, sure, I guess it's great to tap someone on the shoulder, but like you totally just screw, good chance you just screwed up their, their zone, right? Yeah. Um, And that's, you know, that's the downside of that. Whereas with Slack, I mean, I'll do this thing where I'll like, um, someone will tee up some work for me. And then when I have time, I'll get in and start knocking it out. But as I come across issues or questions, I just start in the, in whatever, you know, the, whatever the appropriate channel is. Just start at mentioning, you know, whoever does I'm working with, saying, "Okay, I hit this, I hit this." But I, and I usually, but you're you, saying that as a positive. On, I, it I, it is a positive to me mm. because it 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 respects and enhances like my time and my mental energy, mm-hmm. and it's the same thing for the other person. No, it doesn't. Okay, why is that? Because I see those at missions, and I stop what I'm doing to go read to see if there's something I need to pay attention to. So I'm already broken from my flow because I'm trying to see if. Okay, oh, so, was that at mention because I need to look at something or was it just, you know, an FYI? Yeah. So then I will, so, say, I will say you're doing it wrong, which is why it's not working for uh-huh. you. You, you, if you. If you need to, I do that all the time. I'll just um, set myself to a way or close slack if, I, you know, for an hour or so or if I, if I need to. Hmm. And, and absolutely. I mean, I've been preaching this about email forever. Like, don't sit on email all day. It's so distracting. It's not productive. Yeah, and maybe I just need to apply because I did that too. I, I I weaned myself off of checking email so often to the point where I don't even notice if the notifications come in for email. Oh, just, and that's my, that's my other rule: like, don't have email notifications. I, even I mean, even just the badge, don't even have that, and certainly mm-hmm. don't have the thing that swipes in from the side of your screen and interrupts what you're doing every time you get a dumb email. Yeah, 
Email's dumb anyway. Why would you let something that's dumb interrupt you? Yeah, I mean, I've learned that lesson with email, and maybe I got to learn that lesson with Slack because I, I, I do. I get, I get a ping, even if it's not an app message. I'll see that the icon has changed, and I'll go, okay, well, what, I, what do I need to pay attention to now? Ninety percent of the time, it is something I need to look at, and ninety percent of the time, I feel like I have to address it right then and there. But that's just me. Yeah, I don't, I don't, unless I mean, I don't see how that's the case unless you're working triage at a hospital or something. I mean, that's just not the business we're in, so it shouldn't it shouldn't be that way. But I always, I also, what was the other one? Um, oh, um, I'm big on, um, I don't know if you've heard me preach about this yet, but I'll get on to people who don't have their Slack business hours set up right. Because when you're outside of your business hours, anytime someone, because I want to be able to like at mention people knowing that I'm not disturbing them outside of their business hours. I get that. So that when I, they come I in. that way too. Yeah. So, and so maybe, I, maybe we're in different, we have people in different time zones, right? So. Maybe I'm, you know, working at a normal time, but, the, you know, someone on the East Coast is kind of already, they're kind of already, you know, they're done for the day. So if they have their time set or their business hours set up correctly, I can add mention them, add mention them without feeling bad. That's the, that's the great part about it for meet the sender, mm-hmm. me in this case. So I can add mention them knowing that they will see it. It will show up in their notifications, right? The little red thing. Right. That, that someone's mentioned you. But they won't get, they won't actually get notified, like their phone won't ding, and they won't get a notification that swipes in from the side of the screen or whatever they got set up until they're back, it's, they're back in their business hours. Right. But you can also do the thing, if, if it is an emergency, you can, you know, with Slack, it lets you bust through that and say, go ahead and notify this person anyway, because this is an emergency. So I think that's a great feature. And it, I think it, it allows you, if you're willing, if you want that kind of culture, it's a really, and I think that's what Slack's kind of promoting. But you do also do have to, like, I think, consciously adopt that culture. Yeah. And yeah, so I think there's ways I can manage that better. I will say that I, I don't have Slack. On, I mean, I have Slack on my phone, but I don't have my business channel, my, our work channel on it. I don't even have our work email on it on my phone hmm. for that reason. Because yeah. if, if I'm at my computer, I'm, I'm there, I'm working, I'll respond. But if I'm not, I don't want to respond. Yeah. I'm the same way. So I don't have it. I don't even have it. Okay. I do have it. I do have it on my phone. Um, mainly, uh, like, I need to be able to send. If I needed to send an email um, or something like that on my phone and I didn't have my computer nearby, I mean, that, I, need, I need an email on my phone for that. But I, I, don't, I don't do email on my phone. I don't, like, check email, like, four times a day from my phone. Yeah. I, don't I, I do that when I'm sitting at my computer. Because, to me, that's also why I have an office that's separate from my, I don't work from my home. That's a real problem for me. I have to have separation. Um, and I just, I can't, it's very hard at home, especially, you know, I have a spouse that works at home too. So, yeah, you know, it's too, it's too, there's, you know, the house is just isn't big enough for that. There's not enough. We have to have separate offices or something. We just don't have the space. So, but I also, I like just the, there's something mental about the physical aspect of being away from my home and have this being my workplace. So like, when I'm in this office and I'm sitting down at this computer with this big screen, that's when I do email. And I'll do it three or four times a day. So now that we're encouraging more remote, you think we'll see an, an explosion of co-working st- style places? I don't know. I, it's, I've been wondering what would happen to the co-working places. Because number one, like they're, you know, COVID lockdown. Right. So I don't even know if they're open. If they are, they definitely are requiring, you know, 100% masks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot, I think a lot of people are just incentivized to stay home. I, I guarantee you there's a lot of people who had co-working subscriptions that just canceled them. Like, oh, let's stay at home. Yeah. The people that 
can't work at home because either they have family at home or they don't have the right space or whatever. They'll, you know, they'll keep going, but I'm, I'm afraid for that industry because I'm not sure it's ever going to come back the way it was, but you make a good, I mean, that's a good, that's an opposite point that you just made, which is, well, since companies, if you, if you think that companies aren't going to have near as much investment in, in having their own offices anymore, that would, some of that demand is going to, um, mm-hmm. you know, spill over to co-working type places. Oh, yeah. well, Hey, since I get it, you don't want to have an office, they're expensive and it turns out we really don't need them. Instead, can you take some of that money and just, you know, pay for me a, you know, $500 a month co-working place subscription? I mean, that's pretty cheap. Yeah. I don't know if it scales, though, unless you have some kind of contract with the co-working place. Oh, so big companies have, yeah, big companies yeah. will have, like, I think Salesforce has a contract with WeWork, just like a nationwide thing. Probably, right. and a lot of them do, like, Regis or any of these. But that, that's a, that is a thing. Yeah. Um, but, anyway... Wow, we've we've really kind of taken this in lots of directions. Yeah, we have. Anyway, I didn't want to talk about that because Jay, uh, I thought it's I don't know. Uh, Jay Jay asked us to talk about it, and it's one of those conversations that tends to go in all these different places. But I guess to to cap that one off, that H one B system needs reform really badly, m- mainly for the the visa holders. It's just so. It's just so bad on a lot of them. It's just so not fair that they get stuck with an employer and they cannot, the employer does not have to compete for their labor. It's just not fair. Anyway, uh, let's see. Well, John, do you have any topics for today? No. No. (laughs) You show up empty-handed, huh? No, I mean, I I have some things that I'm working on that I thought we could talk about. Um, we also have a review that I was going to get to, but um, I got I got other stuff. Did we talk about this um, C3 company? I thought that I thought this was just one of these, you know, slap a new badge on something we already have and call it a thing. But you know, the thing where where Microsoft and Adobe and oh, and yeah, this C3 company mm-hmm. are are going to you know take on Salesforce, which I still think that's kind of laughable. Yeah, I mean. Microsoft, this is a company that's produced, what is it, what's their CRM called? Dynamics? Right. Yeah. And how is Dynamics? 20 years old? The CRM part? Right? Is, is, is Dynamics exclusively CRM or is, is it only, is it is the CRM part of a bigger thing? I think it became part of a bigger thing. Okay. Anyway, I mean, that product's been around forever and it just hasn't gotten, and I mean, Microsoft has, I mean, every company in the country, in the world, basically, is a Microsoft customer. So they've got inroads to every company, and they still can't sell the CRM. To, and Salesforce came out of nowhere and ate their lunch. So how am I supposed to believe that all of a sudden Microsoft is going to take on Salesforce? What? Huh? They've been what? trying to do that for the past 20 years. <laughs> well, now they've got, a, they've got a proper plan. I mean... So now, it's, now, it's, now they have AI, and that's going to change the game. It's You know what? I, I can guarantee you they have AI. You know how I know that? <laughs> because it's in the domain name. It's the the company is C3.ai. Mm. There you go. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's so it's it's Microsoft, Adobe, and C3. And the C3, uh, I guess they're, I guess it was started by this guy Tom Siebel. Who do you remember Siebel, the CRM from back in the day? I mean, I remember. It existing. It was not something I interacted with on a daily basis. Yeah, I'm oh, me neither. I just remember. I mean, you know, back when I started getting involved with Salesforce, I mean, Siebel was that was the, that was the big deal. 
Yeah, remember this it's one? not too hard to become a millionaire if you can get a reputation in machine learning, and there'll be all kinds of companies that will be willing to offer you the moon because they, right. they think that if they have AI at their disposal, then they can solve all kinds of problems. So maybe they're just trying to take advantage of, of that perception that's out there. Yeah. Is it really AI? Huh, who the hell knows? Who cares? Yeah, who cares, actually? I mean, there's, it's not like that's a, that's not a regulated term. Mm-mm. No. So, call whatever you want. But In fact, AI used to mean something, and they, cha- they had to change it to machine learning just to differentiate it from all the other, because it became such a buzzword. Yeah, so, they, so it says they'll release a new CRM software program that blends the C3's artificial intelligence tools with Dynamics 365 and Adobe's marketing and customer cloud. Yeah, that's going to work. <laughs> I know. And also... I mean, it's hard enough to integrate applications when you own those applications, much less when you've got three different competing priorities. Yeah, Microsoft has been trying for more than 15 years to catch Salesforce. I mean, everyone loses in these partnerships. What what partnerships have worked? Ever. V- uh, VMforce? No, uh, I'm, I'm, th- I'm thunder, just talking about in general. Thundercloud, John? Yeah, I mean, come on. <laughs> Hell, even the whole Hulu and Disney Plus thing was a was a fail because you think you're going to pay one subscription and get both. I just, then you get the freaking Hulu with the ads, and I'm like, oh, well, I don't okay. want the ads. Oh yeah, no, I just, so now I got to buy Hulu and that separately. But guess what? I can't get either of them until the subscription runs out. So I had to wait oh. and then sign up separately again. Oh. <laughs> I just heard an ad for that today, actually. Yeah, don't do it. The Hulu Disney Plus. If thing. you see the Disney Plus and Hulu combination thing, don't do it because you get yeah. the worst of both of them. Yeah. Well, you get what you pay for, right? I mean, yeah. Eat. It's not a deal. And yeah, it sounded too good to be true. It was too good is. to be true. Yeah. Although I will say Apple's free Apple TV Plus is not too good to be true. It's actually true. I wish there was something on it I could watch, but I don't, I don't want to no, watch anything a, on there. There's a ton of great shows on there. Yeah. Nah. Here's, here's another, I can just, I'll predict a fail now of this thing. All three of the companies involved, so Microsoft, C3, and Adobe, mm-hmm. all three of them will be selling it. Okay. So there's not like a uni- you, you know a unified sales Salesforce lowercase. So they'll they'll end up competing with each other. Exactly. Exactly right. Because I mean the the pool's going to be the same. You going to split territories? I mean, who who gets to go after which accounts? Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't make sense I at know. all. This is a joke. But Bloomberg did have a somewhat little decent write-up on it. Anyway, I don't know if we're... Oh, I was waiting for a clip, because the way you said it, it sounded like you chewed up a clip. No, no, I don't. I I was just wondering, like, is this something we should even worry about, like, trying to keep an eye on, or is it just bogus? It's bogus. So GitHub's source code got leaked. Did you see that? No, did it? Mm Mm-hmm. Was it good or bad? Well, so it ends... It turns out that this was actually... Um, the code for GitHub Enterprise Server. So apparently mm-hmm. that's, if you are at one of these companies who's scared of the cloud, uh, who won't run any cloud software because it's bad and whatever. No, there's, there's still some industries that are heavily regulated. The cloud they is can't, kind of BS. They so. can't do cloud. Government specifically. The cloud is actually not a place. <laughs> um then you you know you want to run all the Mm -hmm. you know what happens if you want to you know use github then well you you can't because it's 
in the cloud, right? Well, no. Right. GitHub will actually sell you GitHub Enterprise Server, and you just run it on your own infrastructure internally. That's what got leaked. So, I mean, obviously, it's like it's a lot of the. I mean, it's the core of GitHub, but it's not. It's not like their website. It's there's a ton of other parts of GitHub that you're not getting with that. Mm-hmm. And they also, they they, the CEO, this guy Nat Friedman, who I think is a Microsoft guy, right? Um. He's CEO of GitHub, but I, I thought he came from Microsoft. I could be wrong. Did he found GitHub? Anyway, don't care. Um, he got into Hacker News and was like, oh, don't worry. This was not, when uh, we didn't get compromised, and this was not a hack or anything. But it's, it's hard to understand why that's not the case. But it was the, he, they, he said that when, they, when, a, when a customer buys GitHub Enterprise, they usually like obfuscate somehow a lot of the actual source code so that, you know, it's not, they don't have like the original source code or whatever. You got an mm-hmm. emergency there, John? No, I'm trying to turn off the okay. notifications. There it is. Um, and so they said in this case, you know, there were a couple of times we, we shipped the code to customers and we, we didn't send it through that process. So they got kind of the full normal source code. And that's what somebody uploaded to, it was actually on a GitHub repository. They uploaded it to a GitHub repository. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, that's easy to do. Just you're you have the wrong branch checked out, and you push it. <laughs> but it's weird because if you look in that Hacker News thread, they, um, the person that uploaded this code, <clears throat> the way they were able to, I guess, get it into this repository was that it was was by exploiting like kind of a well known vulnerability in GitHub. And so the like the top rated comment under Nat Friedman's comment was. So it takes us trolling you like this with uploading your own code to get you to to get you to actually comment and respond to this vulnerability that security researchers have been pointing out to you for years, which is that this is and it has to do with being able to um like impersonate people on commits or whatever, or kind of create mm. um because if you don't use signed commits, which I don't think we do, we don't use signed commits um then it's pretty easy to, I guess, forge commits. Yeah, I've set and up so for signed commits, I think. I have a key and everything. You sign your commits? No, no, I don't. I no, don't never mind. Yeah. My, my I mean, if you, if you just set up your GitHub config to, like, use my name and email address, it's going to look like your commits come from me, because that's all mine is. I don't... No, I, I have, like, a, yeah. a token generated that it has to go through, but... I, I, I'm assuming that does the signing, but maybe no, not. No, it doesn't. That's, okay. that's your authentication into GitHub. Okay. Unless you, yeah, I mean, you, so you'd have to have a, you know, you'd have to sign it. It's PKS. You have to sign it with a, uh, your commits with a private key. I could be wrong. You, you might I have, have a key file. Like, yeah, and that's yeah. how I push everything through. But right. I don't know if that signs every commit. It doesn't sign any commits. Okay. Um, I bet you, I, and I've, I've never done signed commits, but I imagine you can set up in your GitHub config file. Mm. Um, Git config, I guess is what it's called. I bet you can, I bet you can set it up to, Automatically, because I think you, I think on the like when you on the terminal when you do the get commit command, I think you can specify like on the command line. Mm. I think you can specify a key file to sign it with, but I think you can also set it up in your get config so it's automatic. Okay, but I think a lot, a lot of people don't do that. I don't know, maybe they do. But that was one funny side note from from that. Let's see. How about um? Sounds like Salesforce is going to stop doing. PDFs for their documentation, and I don't. It, they, someone said release notes, but they're I, not. That, they're not stopping that. 
No, it's it's a new site, and when you go to that site, there is still an option to download as a PDF. So when you go to that, when you go to the site, there's a link that says, you know, check out the new site or something, and you can click on that, and it's it's a new layout, so you get the kind of sidebar, which is, looks more like the PDF kind of outline, okay, which I think is much better, and it has the search. It looks like all their other help, basically. You have well, the search at the top, and you have the topics on the left hand so side. All their other help is is no good. It it does not render right. I the the sidebar gets cut off and it doesn't yeah it's it's not like the, the major, like the normal documentation help with the sidebar that's yeah, usually on the left yeah, major layout issues like CSS some kind of issues with that mm, I haven't noticed yeah it's bad I I try not to even touch it have you did it recently I, th- I well I I don't know I try to avoid it so I mean I don't know when mm. the last time I actually had to get in and use it was but and I use that stuff all the time and it's yeah look it seems okay. They, um, yeah, there's just like text gets cut cut off, and it doesn't it doesn't reflow. I, I don't know. It's it's weird. Mm. Uh, maybe maybe they fixed it, or maybe I was doing something wrong. But so I've always always go just through, download the yeah, PDF. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is different from the online version that you've. Is that what you're talking about? Well, so I do I do use the online version. Here's the way I use it. Okay. Um, because Google, and this is what I'm afraid we're going to lose. Um. The Salesforce's all their documentation, like at least most of it anyway, is very Googleable now. Yes, and it goes right into takes you right into the specific place in the Salesforce documentation, right, right. for the thing you're looking for. And so I'll go there just to like see like this one result or one page. If I actually want to like, I'm going to learn a new product, um, or if I'm going to read release notes, like kind of top to bottom type of thing, then mm-hmm. I definitely want the PDF. Okay. So I think because all they did was scroll. they used to have that online version, online version of the release notes, which was looked very different from their web documentation yes yeah now all that's being moved over to the web documentation platform and Mm -hmm. so it works and looks just like that and does it work well does it look good it looks good to me okay um in fact it looks better to me because it feels like i can see the start and end of that content page i mean it's a long page but it i can see the start and end to it for each section do you like do you like that where you know you have short pages and there's like each each you know section has its own page, and to get to the next section, you ha- it's a doom page. Or do you like continuous scroll? I like different pages. Yeah. Okay. You like it to be split up. Yeah. It, it seems to link better too. So I can. It seems that I can link to those things better. Like the system has a oh, hard yeah. link. Sure, to sure. that yep. to that page, mm-hmm. and so it's easier to Google. It's easier to search. It's easier to hot link or whatever. Yeah. Than it is to kind of try to scroll to it. I mean, it, it tries to use the same technique. The you know, the hash symbol down to an anchor. Yeah. But it doesn't always seem to work right. Yeah. Well, that's the, uh, San Francisco just voted their, uh, approved, um, the first, this first in the nation, a CEO tax for, like, billionaire CEOs. Really? Yeah. It's, it was, let me see if I can find it. Um, so it'll, it'll levy an, Actually, it's an extra like 0.1 to 0.6% on gross revenue for San Francisco companies for if, if their CEO makes more than 100 times its median worker's salary. <laughs> That's funny because uh, Steve Jobs was famous for taking a dollar salary because he made most of his money on his stock. <laughs> I also wonder how they get around the fact that a lot of these companies, like they do have a small salary. They just, you know, yeah. they're billionaires. Through their stock, and they they sell a million dollars of stock every day. Yeah, 
it'll it well the unintended consequence of that is they'll likely you'll they'll see more of that you'll see more CEOs with a smaller salary and probably larger bonus packages. Oh, under this measure, gross receipts and CEO compensation will include money made from stock options, oh. bonuses, tax refunds, and property, which is a caveat seen by many as a way to target the tech sector where CEOs are often compensated in non-salaried bonuses. How do they enforce that, though? The, does the CEO have to live in, te- in, in California? I think it's the company. Or is the ba- company based out of ca- I think, California? I think it's the company. Because won't that incentivize companies to move their headquarters somewhere else? Yes. It'll incentivize them to move out of San Francisco, which is not really what San Francisco needs right now, considering they're also already having a, somewhat of a massive drain happening. Hmm. Yeah. Well, we'll see how that goes. Yeah. See if it works. So, like, let's say that Salesforce qualifies for that for the top one point six percent. It's of revenue. See, so what's Salesforce's revenues now? Is oh. 20, 30 billion? So thirty times point oh six. That's in billions. Point zero? No, no, no. It was point zero zero six, right? So, hundred eighty million. Hmm. That's not nothing. It's not enough. <laughs> for what? For you? <laughs> I'd be happy with that. <laughs> It costs a lot of money to run a city like San Francisco. Well, <laughs> dude, do you think San Francisco doesn't have enough taxes? No, they have too many I mean, I'm taxes. Saying, I'm not saying it's a well-run city, but I don't think the problem is they don't have they don't have enough taxes. From what I've seen, no. Well, uh, yes and no. A lot of the taxes hit tourism, so when sure. tourism is down, their tax revenue is down. Sure. So. Yeah. That's that's the kind of con to to having so many taxes based on tourism. Yeah. I mean, basically, that's a city that taxes all the things. Whether you live there, whether you don't live there, right. you know, it's just they're going to get you yeah. every which way. Uh, let's see. Hey, um, <laughs> I don't know what's really on here, but someone has happysoup.io. It actually looks pretty cool. I wanted to check it out. Maybe you, maybe you should check it out. Uh, it's the best, it says that it's the best way to visualize your Salesforce dependencies. So oh, it's just cool. a free and open source thing to somebody. I don't know who did it. I'd like to give them credit. Someone put out here. 100% free and open source. It's a Salesforce impact analysis, dependency analysis. It pushes the boundaries of the metadata component dependency API. Uh, create deployment boundaries and translate them into S- SFDX scratch orgs. Break up your metadata and plan your move to SFDX unlocked packages. That sounds pretty badass. Yeah, I'm going to look at that. And I like this. There's, if you, if you can, I guess you can, it, you, you know, you give it your login, I guess, to your, um, to your org order, but there's a checkbox that says, I agree to the happy soup privacy policy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, why does that crack me up so much? It uh, really shouldn't. I was stuck in happy soup hell yesterday. And you know what it was? It was something really stupid. I have a DX project, um, but of course it's attached to a sandbox that doesn't do source tracking. Okay. Well, there is a field that got deleted, but it was still in source. Yeah. So it never, there was never any sync that deleted it. Yep. So when I tried to deploy it, it kept failing. I'm like, why is this freaking deploy failing? And it wasn't failing with this field doesn't exist. It was failing with the, with a GAC. So you know how, so this is part of back when I used to do a lot of Salesforce work. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is before, you know, really, we really had like that, the change tracking thing. Mm-hmm. The way that I would, when I was ready to like, um, so I, let's say I've I've worked on a feature, I've created some code on my 
on my local disk that I've pushed into my sandbox, but I've also done some config in the sandbox and maybe created some things, renamed some things, deleted some things, whatever. Um, I would, I would, I would make a commit based on what I've got on my hard drive and everything I know, but then I also would then delete my entire source folder mm. and repull everything down. And if I had like, say, deleted a field or something now, and that now I do a get status and everything's there as it was before I did that commit. But now I see that there's a, there's a deleted field. There's a deleted uh, file for that field. Oh, that's not bad. And then I would commit that. scary too. But how else do you, how else do you, that was the best way I had to know yeah. to be able to, tr you know, get the deletes. Deletes were those, that was, the, was that one final thing that's like, well, you, since you don't have any change tracking, that, that right. is, you know, kind of poor man's change tracking, basically. Yeah. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah. I had all kinds of little tricks like that. <laughs> I mean, I say it's scary, but I've done it on a number of occasions yeah. <laughs> where I, I have the source, but. I need to resync everything and it's taken too long to try to merge. So I'll just, just, I'll just kill the file system and then bring it back down and then let Git do the, the diffs. It's also the only really way to know like the stuff that not just the deletes, but just any of the other things that you changed in the orgs. And some, sometimes, you know, the other tricky thing is sometimes, you know, you change something like, Oh, I changed that. I'll, I'll go ahead and pull that one thing down. But some of these changes in Salesforce, they, they cascade to other things. Um, yeah. So the, really the only way to make sure you've gotten everything is to, just pull everything down. Now, the whole point of deleting my local files first was that's the only way I could get, find deletes. Right. Yeah, that was that was the problem. Yeah. I had it had actually had it in two different places because uh, not only was it deleted from there, it was also deleted from the permission set. And the permission set was trying to deploy. That was the one that was throwing the gap. Oh, yeah, was yeah. the permission oh, set. Yeah, it's it's just a shame that we we live in a GAC world. Yeah, I mean just. That's just that's just part of the Salesforce developer experience is constant gacks. It's such a it's such a black box because they're I don't know what it is because I don't have this problem on other platforms that I do work on. I mean, the biggest one I think of is like AWS. I mean, yeah, but I, you're not you're also not integrating on those platforms. You're just build and replace, aren't you? No, I mean, no, I mean a lot. So by integrating, I mean whenever you deploy something, you're doing an integration yeah true but i mean think of aws i mean if you're if you're doing it right you are you're not poking around in the in the in their web console building stuff you know you're using um cloud formation or one of these you know what's the one from terracotta um which i like a lot better god my brain uh no is it teradata Ter what are they called um it's not terracotta anyway is it Terraform? Anyway, there's something, there's another one that, that I like better in cloud formation. Um, but you're also, you know, you've got, you're scripting things using the AWSs, because everything you can do in the management console to build things, I mean, you can, that's all available via APIs, and they provide, like, um, command line mm -hmm. commands for all these things, and, and Python APIs, Java APIs, whatever. So you're using all these APIs to do all this stuff. And I just, I don't know that I've ever gotten a, oh, Unhandled exception. I mean, if I if I do something wrong, it tells me what I've done wrong. I don't have the thing. I don't have a gag that's like, nope, unhandled error. I mean, because sometimes you know, with gags, I mean, sometimes it is like, no, you you know, yeah, you just you did something wrong. But the system mm. should be able to tell you what you did wrong. I mean, a compiler tells you what you did wrong. You know, if because if if you don't know what you did wrong, and you don't have access to the the actual logs or the system because it's 
it's run, it's, you know, behind someone else's firewall run by some other company, then you're stuck. Now, now it's just process of elimination. It's like, well, I mean, I can't tell you how many times in my Salesforce career I've done that. I just start removing shit from my deployment and seeing, or the assuming it's deployment, whatever, you know, just some kind of process of elimination. Yeah. Try to figure out what, if it's a big profile, I'll just start taking stuff out and, you know, see what happens. Well, I think the the whole, the whole reason for the GAC is that it it's coming from one of the Salesforce's implementation classes, meaning some kind of unhandled inception yeah. that it's trying to mask. So that Did it doesn't you say unhandled inception. That's the title. No, unhandled exception. Okay, I'm going to check the time code, but. <laughs> but, uh, you know, unhandled inception does does fit as well. I mean, you're, Let's see, that was you right. go from my dream world to the Salesforce dream world, and there you go. Um, so, yeah, it's a security measure, but it, it means it's just, it's an exception that, that they haven't handled yet. Yeah. So they can't provide you the information because they don't know what they're going to be ex- exposing from their system. I mean, if you. But that's the right way to do it. And if you, if you can't do it that way, then you're not, you're not, product's not done. It's not ready. This is a developer platform. I mean, well, this is a platform Software is never on. perfect. There's always going to be some kind of unhandled exception somewhere. I know, but my point is, in the Salesforce, I mean, it's a, it's a daily part of any Salesforce developer shop to deal, to try to... There's a lot of them, and I think that just and, points and, and, to and, all the, the, the mass amount of complexity that has grown over the years with, with the system. That we're seeing it more often. Yeah. And like I said, I mean, I just... I, I just rarely, I do quite a bit with, with AWS. I have for a long time and I just rarely have had things like that where the, the service I'm using is crapping out and it's not, it can't even tell me what's going wrong. Yeah, I see what you're saying. So, I don't know. I mean, it's a hard problem. Um, like you said, it's, in Salesforce is, you know, they've, God, they've, they've acquired so much stuff that's different platforms. It's just, it's hard to deal with, but I just, <laughs> It's a huge DX problem. It's a huge developer experience problem. Yeah, it is. Because it really, I mean, it, it, it took me maybe more than an hour, if not longer, just to kind of try to figure out what the hell I was doing wrong. Some of it was just me being stubborn and trying to keep pushing it through. Some of it was me trial, doing that trial and error of, you know, taking things out, putting things in, trying one thing and, and seeing whether it changed the results or not. Yeah. And this, and also just, you know, in light of like all, all the rhetoric about, oh, you know, build, we built a, a web service and a mobile app on Salesforce in, you know, in 24 hours. So I'm like, mm, Over no, a weekend, yeah. No, no you didn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, in anything that's non-trivial, you're going to hit GACs and all kinds of stuff and yeah. accidental complexity. All right. Well, John, you want to talk about your, whatever it was, your work thing? something you're building yeah it's it actually more of, of a topic on testing in general because um one of the things i've been working on lately and doing more of especially for a client who has some very complex rules that have to be very performant and those rules change frequently which means as much as i would love to hard code it which we did in some cases i now have to build out a way for them to declare to define these rules so that it, the system can make the decisions it needs to make yep um did you implement that thing that's got, because I, I saw when I was looking at this the other day, it was, you could combine the rules like with like that bo- kind of the same type of yeah. Boolean, like you, you can, can do, do condition logic. Yeah, so you like, can do one and two or three. And then with parentheses. Yeah. How did you implement that? Brute force. I, I read that string and parse it out and parse into it. tokens. Okay. Um, and then I read all the, the conditions, mm-hmm. the rule, the, con- the rule conditions, and I turn them into true false. So then you have an index with true false. And then I go through that data set and map it to the 
condition logic. So is one true and this true and this and that. It took a while to kind of work out the bugs of that. But now that I have that, it's working pretty, pretty well. Cool. I still would like to make it more performant from the parsing perspective because it does take a little bit of time to parse that condition logic. And it also takes a little bit of time to parse the conditions, conditions themselves because it has to identify um, not only the operator, but the comparer. You know, yeah. how, how am I going to compare this? Is it I'm comparing dates? I'm comparing strings and all that kind of stuff. And then the rules got even crazier because then I had to allow for uh, lists or arrays. Um, so I had to, for certain operator types, you can give it an array of data. So you can say if it contains any of these values or yeah. if it contains or does not contain or something like that. Yep. So th there was some added complexity there, but I worked that out. I'm pretty proud of it. But um, so now... Now the client has something they can point and click their way to. Well, the problem is they have a way to point and click their way into it not working and them going, it doesn't work. Yeah. And that's all they say. And we have to do all this work to try to figure it out. And it's like, well, crap. I, I, got, I gave them the, the declarative way to do it, but there's so many rules here. How, how is a human being supposed to go through this and validate that all of these rules actually work? There isn't unless you write some script to do it mm -hmm. um, or you brute force it with people and have them test every single scenario. Yeah. Um, so that's the kind of challenge that I'm in right now is not only do I have to solve for how do I test and validate these rules or give them a way to define their expectations so that they can run some kind of regression test on the rules. Um, but we also kind of have the same problem with flow. It's also a declarative tool where you have a bunch of business logic that you're going to want to validate and have some regression testing for which there isn't. So what you're telling me is that Apex tests are good for more than just Apex. You can actually use Apex tests to test lots of different things. Uh, yes and no. Okay. You can do it for the flows, the triggered flows, so the before and after context of flows, but what I have yet to figure out is how am I going to do that for screens, which I don't think there's a, there's a way to do because the, as far as I understand, the, the flow classes that exist that enable you to kind of get the input and outputs from a flow doesn't give you ways to inject input and outputs for screens that you define in the, in the, in the flow. So if you have a stop in your flow that says, oh, well, ask the user for this information or ask the user from this information, there's no way for me to kind of mock up what information to put into those screens so that I can get a certain output. Yeah. It, it, so, okay, I, mean, I want to make sure I understand this. So you, you've got test coverage that tests all your actual, in, so I'm back to now talking about your specific thing you built. Mm -hmm. You've got test coverage that tests all that code. Yes. What the, I guess the challenge is um, when the client creates their rules, are they creating valid rules? Right. So shouldn't, well, why don't you create something that like can, doesn't let them create invalid rules? That, that's what you'd want to test like on the way in when they're creating these rules, like somehow validate those rules that they're correct? Uh, yes and no. So I do have some validation that says, you know, make sure that the field that they specified in this is valid. Make mm -hmm. sure that, I mean, the operator is a pick list, so they can't mess that up. Okay. Um, the value types, I kind of don't really validate that because it can be anything and it's, it takes a lot of process. It would take a lot of processing time to mock it and run it i probably could but it's more effort the problem is is whether or not because it's a rule set and it has an order of operations so think the uh, opportunity or i'm sorry um lead assignment rules you know you have an order of operation you tell it this this and this then assign to this person otherwise go to the next rule and assign to this person it's kind of like that 
Well, what they have been doing is they configured rules, but they forget about all the other rules that it might impact because it's just one big stream of rules. Yeah. So they might have, in this case, one of them was they had a value, criteria value in both places. Well, they didn't realize that. So it was getting assigned. It was the one rule was running, but they expected a different rule to run. And they were like, it's broken. It doesn't work. So I look at it and I'm like, well, the value, the, it matched this criteria. So it never got to this criteria. So there's things like mm -hmm. that where the rules aren't configured and there's no good way to know that if you change something for, for one rule that it stops applying another rule. Yeah, I just think when if they're going to build rules, they should they need just to test the rules, I guess. Right? Because they're going to continue to create and modify rules like till the end of time until yeah. they stop using this thing. Yeah, that's fun. <laughs> fun problem. <laughs> well, I probably need to wrap up because I just realized I have a call I have to be at home for in a little bit. Okay. You want to read this review? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So we finally got a new review. Thank you for that. Uh, this one's from Maxim. Max, Max M. Uh, the title is, you can honestly bill for the time listening to this podcast as working and still have fun. <laughs> oh, please don't blame that on us. <laughs> <laughs> I get to see that time entry comment. Listen to Good Day, Sir podcast. <laughs> well, what do you think? I'm going to log my time for exactly. today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this person says, I mean, it's absolutely the best. You get to learn 100% informative stuff about Salesforce. That might be generous, 100%, yeah, so. <laughs> especially this episode. Uh, and some tangentially related curious tech stuff and some totally unrelated fun stuff. And on top of it all, uh, it's entertaining as hell and absolutely free of marketing BS or any other kind of pandering. We try. Uh, goes on to say, I wish I could model my blog after this awesomeness. Uh, from Russia with love, Maxim M. P.S. I suggest you guys shouldn't consider buying SF stock even past the ridiculous PE ratio, since your job is also dependent on SF, that's too much of it, too much of eggs in one basket. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't deny that I, you know, it would have been good to buy Salesforce, some, some Salesforce stock mm -hmm. uh, a long time ago. It's done quite well, but yeah, I don't own it. I mean, I don't, I might, I don't directly own any Salesforce stock. No, the politician answer. No, I really don't. I don't. I, yeah, exactly. I have a blind trust. Yeah. I don't have, I don't have even remotely enough net worth to have a blind trust. So <laughs> there's that. Yeah. Anyway, well, thanks for the review, Maxim. That was awesome. Appreciate the kind words. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I, I recommend, dear listeners, that you uh, follow in Maxim's footsteps and you uh, leave us a review. We, we always like to get those. I think they, uh, they help people find the, the show. Because uh, there's a lot of people, believe it or not, that don't know about it. Crazy, huh? Plus, they're just fun to read. They're fun to read. Yeah. Um, other than that, you can uh, shoot us an email, info at gooddayserpodcast.com. Uh, if you would like stickers, if you'd like to leave us feedback, if you want, uh, we, we really like getting show topics and suggestions. We get a lot of those through Slack and other ways, but email works. And uh, we do have a Slack that you should join if you're not in. And you do that by going to gooddayserpodcast.com and clicking on community. And then uh, fill it out and you'll be in. And like Flynn. Yep. That's all I got, John. Oh, and to that, I say good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. We'll do it live!